Thanks everyone. I'd like you to take a seat. Thanks for joining in us with worship today. We've got a special guest here this morning as well. Another ring-in, so I'd love to welcome Todd. As he does that, as he comes up here, give him a round of applause. Thanks, mate. Morning, everyone. Um, my church starts at eight o'clock on a Sunday morning, so I was left with all this time this morning. What do you do between when you wake up and go to church? It was wonderful. Um, I think I'll feel it on the other end because usually I'm home by ten o'clock and like, oh, I've got the day. Um, my name is Todd. I, I work at Mueller College um, down the road. I see some very familiar faces in this room who also um, work there or have been there. Uh, I've been there. This is my nineteenth year at Mueller. And I've been married to my wife, Angela, for six weeks longer than that. So um, uh, whenever you get asked to speak on marriage, like my first thing, is, it, uh, is, like, is there another topic I could do or does it have to be marriage? Um, and I was assured, no, it has to be that. So I'm, I, I don't stand in front of you as an expert. As my younger brother would say to me, you've been good at one relationship in your life, so who are you to give advice to anyone? It's maybe a little cynical, but, um, but definitely the Word of God has some answers for us today. And... Um, Angie isn't actually here today. She's at, at Mueller on a camp. Um, so I can pray, say pretty much whatever I want um, if, you, if you agree not to tell her what I said. Um, in fact, I was talking to her about it saying what would be my, be- my best advice would actually be to marry Angela. That's, I think my, the secret to my good marriage is her, but she's taken, so I've got to go a bit deeper than that. I grew up in the 1990s. I was at youth group in the 1990s. I, I'm assuming some of you were that as well. And in the 1990s, there was this kind of thing in, maybe it was just our youth group, but like, you don't date anyone you're not absolutely sure you're going to marry. I was like, fire out, that's high stakes, asking a girl out. Um, If I'm absolutely sure we're going to get married, well, she's got to be absolutely sure she's going to get married to me. And as a 15-year-old, to be truthful, I was more interested in the Brisbane Broncos than what, what qualities of a prospective marriage partner I needed. Um, and, and we would do a relationship series, it seemed like, every second week at youth group um, on what to look for in a marriage partner and on dating. And um, they would sort of ask this question, what are the qualities of a person that you would like to get married to? And, I, like, I, I look back on my 15-year-old self as reasonably shallow and so I, was, oh, I guess, like, she'd be pretty. Uh, she'd probably like the stuff I like. And then I kind of didn't really know. Like, I, I probably wasn't very like caring, kind, like those were words I guess I knew, but I didn't sort of think that's what you need. I, I was probably self-centred. And then the girls, who are obviously way more mature than the boys at youth group, would say, I need a man of God, handsome leader, caring, kind, good with kids, can fix stuff around the house, musical, sporty, da, 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 da. They'd have this list, and I'd go, wow, who is this person? <laughs> and then I'd think, I guess I'm not getting married to any of these girls in this room. Um, but relationships are hard, and who, like as a teenager, what, what, what did I know that I needed in a wife? I, know now, I now know what I needed, but as a teenager, I, I didn't know. And the truth is about marriage is that it's hard, and today we're going to talk about, it, it's good, but there are some things about it that, um, you know, take some work. But I guess I want to acknowledge as well that, that, um, that not everyone here is married, not everyone gets married. Marriage is not um, necessarily happy for everyone. 
and that, that relationships in general, what we're going to talk about today is actually applicable to any relationship, not just a marriage relationship. Marriage relationships are very close, obviously, so they are um, more intimate environments to learn some of the things God wants us to learn through relationship. But not everyone gets married. But, but, and, but prior to being married, if I ever heard a sermon on marriage, as soon as I heard the title, I'd sort of switch off and go, oh, I guess it's not for me today. I guess I want to encourage you not to do that today and try and hear what God has for you in this word. And um, relationships are important. In the United Kingdom, they've actually only in the last couple of years put in a new cabinet portfolio. Now, I know that British politics is probably not the most stable environment at the moment, but, um, but they put in a minister for loneliness because they said relationships in our country are really important. And they, they looked at some data, and, and so many people in the UK were lonely. If you look at the data for Australia as well, it's much the same. And the most affected age group of people is actually 18 to 24-year-olds. So, so loneliness and a lack of relationship is, is a real societal issue, the disconnectedness of life. And Jesus has something to say about that. In fact, he values relationships as the most important thing, and he values our relationship with him as the most important relationship. And if you think, we've heard this morning about forgiveness of sins, and if Jesus only offered us forgiveness of sins, if, if, if when we came to him and said, I am sorry, Lord, I'm, I've sinned, I've, I've, I've done wrong, I, I know I need forgiveness, and we acknowledge that Jesus is the only way we can be forgiven. If all he gave us was forgiveness, that would be so awesome. That would be so beautiful, free from, from guilt, free from penalty and punishment of our sin. If that was all Jesus offered us was forgiveness, it would be wonderful. But what he actually offers us is so much more than that. He offers us relationship. He offered, offers us the transforming power of God, the kingdom of God, if you like, in our lives to heal alienation, brokenness that we all have, physical pains, Social, emotional, psychological, spiritual, all these pain. He offers a, a, an answer to those things in him. And if he brings the kingdom of God to our lives when we, we enter into relationship with him, he can bring it into our marriage. He can bring it into our relationships. There is healing available in the power of God. And today we're going to look at a passage that is not specifically about marriage, but it's about relationship and primarily our relationship with God, but it has huge implications and application for marriage. So if you, if you have a Bible here, that's great. It's Matthew 13. If you don't, it will be up on the screen. So It's called the parable of the sower, sower of seeds, not seamstress sower. Um, the same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake, such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Before we get into the parable, I just want to think, just think about that for a second, that Jesus is standing in what I'm assuming is a fishing boat, kind of on the sea, wobbling around, because, he, because there's too many people there, and he is teaching them this from a boat. Now, if it's a lake, there's probably wind as well, and all these people, think of the power and authority with which God would have been teaching in that environment. He's standing in a boat on a lake, speaking to thousands of people, even just the carry of what, what his, the carry of his voice must have been. I'm a phys ed teacher, and I can tell you in a, in a basketball court it's hard, let alone out on a lake, but it's probably a digression from what we're here for, but anyway. Um, then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. 
But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop, 160 or 30 times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Now, now this was an agrarian society, a society based around agriculture, so they would have known, like, like you can see here, there's a guy sowing seed. Like that's something really familiar to them. They've got a basket or a bag of seed and they've got their, their, their field and their sowing seed. They didn't have the kind of modern agricultural mechanical devices that could plough it up, so however they ploughed it up as best they could, they sowed their seed. This would have been very familiar to them, the idea that it falls on different parts and some will grow and some won't. And... and I'm not, I haven't grown up in that. I did go to Whamuran State School with farmers, but I myself wasn't one. So they would understand it, but I didn't. But, but this is maybe unfamiliar. To, it's not a part of our natural life. Getting married, you do get to learn new things, like how to look after the house. Um, fixing things around the house is not a strength of mine, but now I have YouTube, it's a bit easier. When it comes to the garden, though, you can't, the garden is not something that you, you spend two days on, it's all good for six months. Um, it, it requires upkeep and maintenance and, and, and doing this sort of regularly, mowing the grass, weeding the garden, that sort of thing. And, and it's all about creating an environment where things can grow. Now, I have an environment where weeds grow quite, quite, quite well, plants less well. But what I've learned is that creating the environment is, is the right thing. And Jesus is speaking here about the environment that is created. And, and, and the disciples are, and all these people are hearing it. And yeah, we, we know that you're so sick. Like, of course that's going to happen. But he says, they in fact ask him, and they say this, in Matthew 13, 10, straight after them, the disciples say, why do you speak to people in parables, Jesus? What, can't you just tell us the answers? Can't you just tell us what to do? And Jesus had finished his parable with whoever has ears, let him hear. And kind of the theme of Jesus' teaching is, have you heard, do you know, do you understand? And he's trying to get people to grapple not with gardening advice, but with spiritual truths about their life. And this parable is unique in that then he gives them the answer. Most parables he doesn't. He sort of says it, and then he says, now now kind of take that on board, people. But it's like he's given them an exam with the answer sheet here. And in verse 18, it says this. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they only last a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. As you read this, you might kind of think, Oh, maybe that one, or oh, maybe that one. I read them and think at different times I'm all for. But um, it says, But since they had uh, the seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of his life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop, yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. You see, our lives are about environment. And, and, and about learning and about living. This, once we are saved, we live in relationship with God. That was his intention. If his intention wasn't for that, when we were saved, that would be it. We'd be whisked to heaven and our time on earth is done. But instead, we live out our days in relationship with God and with one another. And Paul talks about this in, in 
Philippians, where he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He says, for me to live is about Jesus. And the purpose of our marriages, the purpose of all our relationships, is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. The purpose of our marriages is to enjoy time with one another and to point people to God. And if you think about our marriages, should they not be such that people look, and I don't mean this in a, in a guilt-inducing way, but that people look at our marriages and go, isn't God good that these people can be happy together? That, that our relationships with people in our work, in our, if we play sport, whatever it is, that our relationships bring glory to God. Because the work of God is joining the seed and, and the soil together. We are the soil, he is the seed. And in our marriages, we are both the seed and the soil as well. We need to have the because the soil is actually the condition of our heart. The condition of our heart is the thing that we need to take notice of and to and we are responsible for it. Essentially, Jesus is saying, You're responsible for how you receive this. When he says, Have you heard? Do you not know? He's, he's, he's saying that. Because the kingdom of God is received by listening and by hearing. Marriage is much the same. Life, in fact, is much the same. It's about listening. They people have done studies on, on how humans communicate, the mode they use. And, and they've said that for 80% of your waking hours, you're communicating with someone else or in communication with other people. Now, I guess depending on your job or where you live, that, that might be less. But on average, the people they've looked at, and they said 9% of that time is writing, 16% uh, of that time is reading. Now, now, this all depends on whether you like, like, I mean... Some of you may read all day long, and I've got kids in my class who wouldn't have spent 9% of their day writing ever. 30% speaking, and 45% of it listening. So they break it down. So you might have heard the old chestnut that you've got two ears and one mouth, so you should listen twice as much as you speak. Well, it's about one and a half times is what they say. But then they followed up. The word straight after is they say, I'll, I'll read it out to you. It says, studies also confirm that most of us are poor and inefficient listeners. So what it says is we spend our time listening, we're just not very good at it. When I was, um, the year before I got married, we, um, Ange and I had been dating for about three years, and I was working in education Queensland at Bremer State High in Ipswich, and she uh, just finished uni, and she got a job for the next year in Brisbane here at a Lutheran school, Prince of Peace. And um, because I was single on their books, um, I got transferred, you just get a forced transfer, because you have a permanent job with education Queensland, they just say, well, this year we're you're going wherever. So I got this letter on my desk one day saying I, next year I was going to be teaching in Townsville. So you have a choice, then you can either quit and look for a, a job somewhere else or you do it. So like, I went to Townsville for the year. We, were, we weren't engaged. Um, probably should have been, but we weren't. Um, and when we got to Townsville, it was, it was the year 2000, so airfares were still pretty expensive. Mobile phones were not really around, and I had an email address I never used. But um, So the only way we could communicate was on the phone. And I... I don't like talking on the phone. She doesn't like talking on the phone. That was all we had. And um, so we would spend half an hour a night talking about the ordinariness of life. Not ordinary, like bad, but like just the day-to-day. -day. What did you do today? And I'd hear her younger brother kind of just being annoying in the background. And I you know, was living with some people. And, like, and, you just, and, I, and I almost never fell asleep as well while talking on the phone to her. I did three or four times maybe. But um, what it trained me in is to actually talk, to actually have conversation. I wouldn't say it trained me to be a good listener because I'm not a very good listener, but it trained me to be in conversation. And it's a habit that we've sort of kept going. You just kind of have this daily check-in. And um, 
They actually say, here's what good listeners are. And this is a conviction to me because this is not me. And it, fortunately, my wife is not here because she would say amen to that. But um, they say good listeners are not competitive. If you're listening, you know when you, someone's talking to you and they're telling a story and then you're thinking of a story that's just a little bit better than that one they're telling? And then you reflect their story with yours that is slightly better, even if you've got to exaggerate a little bit to make it better? They say don't do that. That's competitive listening and it's, people don't like it. I can, that is one thing I can confirm in a marriage people don't like. Um, the other thing good listeners do is they, is, they, is they challenge assumptions that people have, but in a helpful way. So good listeners are not always agreeing, but that whatever they're doing, they're doing kindly and helpfully. The next thing is whenever they did that, they open up an alternative, like have you thought about? And again, they did it whilst valuing what the other person was saying. And the fourth thing they did was that they energised and helped the clarifiers to think more clearly on something so that when, that when the speaker left the conversation, they felt like they understood the topic better. I'm probably zero from four on that list, I'll be honest, today. But I thought, isn't it helpful to know what good listening looks like? Because most of life is listening. Most of relationship is listening. We obviously need to speak at times or, or it would be very quiet. But um, listening is the important part in God's relationship with us. He says, the human heart needs to hear and understand what he's sowing. And in our lives, in our relationships with God, we do tend to, oh, well, certainly I tend to talk more. And Jesus doesn't coerce us into anything. He doesn't compel us into anything. He is gentle. And he sows his seed and lets it sink in with us. He pursues us relentlessly and graciously, but he doesn't coerce us into anything. And our job in that relationship is to be good hearers of the word, just like in marriage. Because there is obviously doing in our relationship with God, but the doing, it comes after the receiving. We receive forgiveness and then we can go out and, and live a life that is, is more like Jesus would want us to do. We don't do that and then receive forgiveness. We hear his word and then we're able to live. We, we are loved by him and then we're able to love other people. And the truth is we live in a world that's full of pain and suffering where people are trying to distract themselves from this anyway. So the parable of the sower is about the condition of our heart. But I just want to make one clarification here. It is not about personalities. It is not saying this personality is better than this personality. If we just flick up to this thing, this is not like a, just, this is not like a, you know, sometimes there's like a star or whatever that people do that's dodgy. Like this is not dodgy, this is just a diagram. You may have had the pleasure of doing a personality test at some point in your life. Um, we've at work been doing this one called the Enneagram and there's nine, I won't go into it because, you know, you probably don't care, but like there's nine different parts. And you, do a t you answer 140 questions, and then it will identify you as one of these things. And you see, like at the top there, the peacemaker. It says peaceful, reassuring, and empathetic, complacent, neglectful, and avoidant. It's got three things that are good and three things that are like maybe you'd like to be less of. And it's the same for each personality. What it's saying is here are your strengths and here are your weaknesses. And sometimes we can think, if only our personalities were more like this, God would love us more, or we'd be better at this or better at that. It, what this is saying is that every personality, it, personalities are different, and the lines between it, when you do it, it talks about if, if you're a peacemaker and you're, say, working with a challenger, you need to kind of consider these things. Personalities are neither good or bad, personality types. They just are different. And in fact, this Enneagram is designed on the fact that each personality type has sort of like a root sin that causes them to be a certain way. We're all sinful. It doesn't matter which one you are up there. 
there's, we, are, we are kind of have this human brokenness. This parable is not about get a better personality because they're all different and we're wired a certain way. This parable is about consider the condition of your heart. Consider how we are in hearing and understanding and receiving things. And in it, it gives four examples. The first one is the hard heart. And it's the pathway. You probably all have at your house a part where if you walk on it, you've walked on it so much that the grass grows beside it, but where you walk is just dirt. I have that at my house. This is not my house, but like... If, you, if you, the grass never grows there, if it rains lots, it gets muddy and it might sort of start to grow and then I just crush it with my foot as I walk to the bin. That's the pathway. And if the seed falls on that, it doesn't grow. It says the birds whisk it away. In fact, the path at my house, we kind of chuck out stuff out of the guinea pig cage and the birds do just come and eat all. It's all grass seeds, but it never grows. And what he's describing is that our hearts can be hard. Now, our hearts can be hard for a whole number of reasons. We, we've been hurt. We've just, we're just tired. We've been keeping on going. We just, we just can't fit any more in. Maybe we've just become kind of numb to something. And, and in our relationship with God, we can become hard to him at times. And in our relationship with people, our marriage relationships, we can become hard. It describes it a bit like they just don't get it. And have you ever had that moment? I, Angela, I have them often where one of us is trying to explain something and the other one just doesn't get it. And you start off by explaining something that is eminently simple and basic and non-confrontational, like, you know, remember to put this in the bin or whatever. And all of a sudden, it's become World War III because it's kind of cranked up because no one got what the other one was saying. And I'm not really trying to say that. I'm just, ah. And then you're just like, how did that happen? So it's a bit like you just don't get it. That's what he describes. And as human beings, Jesus is saying sometimes you're hard to God's word and you're hard to what he's asking. And in fact, God says this. C.S. Lewis says this. He says, It would seem our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink, sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he can't imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. God wants us to grab hold of what he has for us, to not be hard. Now, he, the, the, the thing about this is God understands our hardness. He does. And he, he wants to come graciously and lovingly to us. But he says, don't be hard-hearted to things. Open ourselves up to connection and open ourselves up to him. Open ourselves up to what our spouse is wanting from us. Because it we, which might be different. That thing that they're asking us to be is, might be hard for us. And you've just got to keep coming to that and remain open. What can also be hard is, is um, when you're married, you might be the spouse who you feel like it's the other person that's hard and I've been coming and coming lovingly and graciously to this for ages and they're still hard and that can be that can be a tough situation but God calls us to be persistent and loving in that and to seek our our strength and our grace from him and in Ezekiel he says this I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you I'll remove you from your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh I'll put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws so if that's you, I want to encourage you just to keep loving the other person. The second type of, of ground, of environment, of soil, is the rocky path. 
where something springs up really quickly, but the sun scorches it. You might get these. I get these at home between, the, between your pavers. They grow up and then they die off and then it yeah, just makes a mess, really. But the rocky path is like that. It springs up because it's, in these times when Jesus was explaining this, they had a lot of soil that was sort of like a couple of inches deep and then it was rock underneath, so you couldn't really grow anything in it because it couldn't dig its roots down. And this is often how we are in our spiritual life. It's often how we are in marriage and relationship is we want to do better. I want to be, okay, yeah, I want to I do that thing you're asking me to do. And you do it for a couple of days and then you, you can't the third day and then the fourth day you can't and then, ah, oh, I'm just defeated again. Jesus is saying he understands that as well. He's put that as a type of, a type of soil here. That the, the, the intention is there but just not the follow-through. God knows that that's what we're like as people. Paul, the Apostle Paul in the Bible, who is the hero of the faith, says, the things I want to do, I can't do, and the things I don't want to do, I do. He understands we have a sinful nature. He understands our brokenness, and he keeps forgiving us and keeps loving us in that. And it's hard to do that over and over again in marriage, but it's important to do, and there's great joy in it. And because the truth is, there's highs and lows in life, but isn't life just lived day to day? It's the day-to-day things. It's when you get home from work and, or, or you've been looking after the kids all day or whatever it is, that those days are equally hard. You sit and have a coffee and you just talk about the day-to-day things. There's, there's not a heap of glamour in it, but the, like the hard heart needs openness. God is calling us to continually be engaged in one another's lives, not just in marriage, but in the church environment and everywhere, but, but to be engaged. That's the rocky soil. The next one is the divided heart. So he's got the hard heart, the one that springs up, and the next one is the divided heart. The shallow heart sounds harsh for the rocky ground, I'm going to say, but the thorny ground is like the busy person, the divided heart. Did you know that each day, one billion, billion bytes of data are created? And that of all the information out there, 90% of it has been created in the last two years. We live in this noisy world where stuff is happening all the time. And in, in your marriage, it's filled up with the car overheated, I've got to take the kids to here, this is broken, I've got to make dinner, I've got to wash up, da, 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 da. Like it's, it goes on and on and on. The reality of life is it's super busy. And God says that here and says we have a divided heart. He says there it's, it's the wealth chokes you out. But the, the, today it's just about being busy. And in fact, when he says be still and know that I am God, the word he uses means vacate. So Jesus says be still and know that I am God. He's actually saying vacate, remove, take a break, have a vacation from all that stuff and just know that I am God. So the challenge of marriage is busyness. And it doesn't mean that you have to stay at home together all the time and not do anything because that would be boring for me and for my wife. But um, it's about quarantining that time to connect, taking that vacation in your own lives to hear from God and to, to be with one another. These things are hard. As I said, there's the hard soil, the rocky soil, the thorny ground, and at different times we are all three of those things. In the one day sometimes. And he talks about the soil not here as a condemnation of us, but as an understanding of the human condition. And his advice to us is, have you not heard, hear what I'm saying to you, that what you need to do is aim to be the good soil, that the sower is gentle, because what a blessing it is to have to be married in this process, in the process of us getting to know God better. 
What a blessing it is, is to have someone to walk closely on that journey with us. What an opportunity to, to learn from them, that, to, to, to be strong where we're weak. It sounds like it's all hard, but it's actually wonderful. And that these things that God's teaching us are actually bringing us closer to him and to one another. Because if you've got bad soil in any... Again, I'm not a farmer, I've read this. But if the pH is wrong, you've got to add acid or a base to it. So sulfur or lime to make the pH. If you've got hard soil, you've got to dig it up. You've got to excavate it. If you've got soil that's not growing anything, you've got to add compost or something to it to to make it better. That is the experiences of our life that God has for us, is, is those opportunities to grow closer to him, knowing that he loves us so much that his grace never runs out and he doesn't condemn us. He convicts us. And if you're going through some of those painful experiences right now, I'm not here to minimise them in any way. And in fact, I'm sure the church would love to walk through that pain with you, but to say that, that God is doing a work in all of us and what an opportunity marriage is to have the good and the bad of that together. What about the good soil, the goal of it all? What's the purpose of all this at the end? So we've got the good soil. I have never grown a tree that looks anything like that. If you have, kudos to you. I, I grew a lemon tree once and it grew one lemon that had all black spots on it. I never ate it, but... Uh, it didn't actually feel like success at all, and now the lemon tree's gone. But the fruitful soil, the good soil, grows a harvest 160, 30-fold. The goal of our life is to bear fruit. And I'm not talking about lots and lots of kids, although that might be for you. But uh, it's about the fruit that God... We talked about before, the goal of life is to glorify God and enjoy Him to ever, to see God's kingdom go forward in other people, to go forward in our children, to go forward in the people around us, to go forward in the world. And marriage is a great opportunity to do that. Relationship is a great opportunity to do that. And we need to be the good soil to do that. That when those hard things happen to us, that we can dig into God's grace and then become that good soil. The thing that stands out to me about this is that even if it, you're at the lower end of the range that he suggests here, so he says 30, 60, 100, imagine if you had 30 times the fruit that was sown into you come out of your life, how huge would that... Imagine being giving 100 grand and turning it into 30 times that. Is that $3 million? A lot. That, you'd, you'd be the best investor in the world. That's at the lower end of this. If we're the good soil, God has this tremendous fruit for us. And it's not all just about... It makes us happy. It makes us content. It brings us joy. And it makes those around us the same way. 30, 60, 100-fold fruit if we can be the good soil. Like I said, it's not about changing our personality. It's about the condition of our heart. God has made each of us the way we are. But he has also put in us a heart that is receptive to his word and to his Holy Spirit at work. And my prayer for you today is in all relationships that you have, that you would know his love and be able to be that good soil for his word and for other people. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for uh, your word um, spoken thousands of years ago to a group of people who, who are not even much like us, Father God, in the, in the way that they live. But it's, its application is so true today. I pray for each person here who's married, Lord, pray specifically for them and their husband or wife, Lord, that you will just fill their hearts with joy, fill their, heart, their hearts, your hearts, their hearts, sorry, with your grace, Lord God, that they would know your forgiveness and your freedom and freshness today, that, 
that you say your mercies are new every day, Father God, and we trust in that. We have faith in that, Lord, that, that you don't call us to be perfect people. You don't even call us to be good people, really. You call us to be people of you, Father, people who are receptive to your word and then respond to it, Father. And I pray also for each of us, Lord, for the fruitful life that you describe here, Lord, 30, 60, 100-fold, that we may bless our communities, bless the people around us with the fruit you will bear through our lives. Amen.